good afternoon, good afternoon, family, and a happy Saturday to you. This is Ronnell Tate, lead pastor of the Father's House Frisco, coming to you on a Saturday with a special edition of Midday Meditations, the Saturday edition of it. I pray that wherever you are, wherever you're watching us live from, if you happen to be home and you're, or you're out and you got notification on your phone, if you're able and you're not shopping, you're not doing errands on this Saturday, I welcome you and I pray that you are blessed, that you're overcoming by, in, and through the presence of the Lord, that joy has gripped your heart, hope flows through your veins the hope of the return of our lord of our king for the day is drawing near he is saying he is coming as he said he would i pray that you're well that love infuses your soul that you are in love first with him with the father the son the holy spirit and then you're in love with yourself and with your fellow man oh hero Israel is the first and great commandment to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart with all thy soul with all thy might and thy strength and the second is like it says Jesus to love your neighbor as you love yourself so I pray on this Saturday that you're having a tremendous day in the presence of the Lord. Well, we here at the Father's House, and our pod, this is our podcast entitled The Father's Table. We are having a wonderful Saturday here in Frisco, Texas. It's cloudy today, but it is about 75, 76 degrees. It's beautiful. And we are filled with great hope and expectancy, anticipation because of the hour that we are currently living in. Well, for those of you, if this is your first time, you are listening to the Father's Table podcast. If you're watching us live or if you're listening on the various podcasting platforms, this is the Father's Table podcast. This is a segment that we entitle Midday Meditations. Normally, we come to you on Fridays, but this week, we're coming to you on Saturday, December 4th, 2021. And I have a special word for you. Special, I say, all of them are. But because the Lord just quickened me about this passage that I want to, for a few minutes, jump into. If this is your first time, Midday Meditations is about us meditating upon the scriptures. <clears throat> All over the Bible, you see this word, to meditate upon the word. Joshua was told in Joshua 1 that if he would meditate upon the word day and night, this word to meditate, it, it is the picture of a cow chewing the cud. If you know anything about cattle, they have four different stomachs. 
And as they're grazing, they chew, they swallow, they regurgitate, then take it down again into another chamber, regurgitate, and do this multiple times. It is the biblical picture of meditation. To meditate upon, to chew, to orally recite, to take it in, to bring it back up. To take it in, to bring it back up. And he tells Joshua in Joshua 1 that if you would meditate upon the word, he, was, he says you will have good success. You will make your way prosperous. And so for 35, 45 minutes, sometimes as much as an hour, we dive into the scriptures the Lord has made known, has highlighted to us that we might make our way successful, make our way prosperous and have good success in everything that we do. Many of you have heard me say that the Barner Research Group, they did a study about biblical reading inside the body of Christ. It was a 20 plus year study when they released their first findings. It has increased now to 30 plus years. And long story sh short, biblical illiteracy is at epidemic proportions within the body of Christ. We don't know what the Lord has prepared for us. We are we lack complete understanding of the word of God. And if we're lacking understanding of his word, it's safe to say that we are not having the type of kingdom success, the type of kingdom prosperity that has been promised to us. Because we are not meditating upon his word. Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy. He says, study to show yourself approved. Study the word. Study to show yourself a word, uh, approved. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Being a worker who need not be ashamed because you're fully aware of what he has said, what he is saying, and what he desires of your life. Oftentimes we are arguing over things, Christians I mean, because we are unaware and we lack understanding of what he has said. Uh, Oftentimes you will hear, and I'll say this and I'll dive into what I believe the Lord has for us today. Oftentimes you will hear a believer say that the Holy Spirit will not contradict his word. It is very true. He will not, for he is the inspiration he is the source behind all of the writers of Scripture from 
Genesis all the way through Revelation. He is the source behind it. There is one issue with that statement, however. The Holy Spirit will not contradict his word. However, he will contradict our understanding of his word. We may not have clear understanding of what is said, of what is being said, the context in which it was written and how it is applicable to us today in this hour. And so sometimes we are arguing over biblical truths because we lack understanding of what is written and what has been said. Honestly, even if we do not understand, we should stop the arguing because every one of us has been wrong at some point or time in our walk with Christ. And if you have not been, you will be. That is not a negative confession. It is just a fact that a human nature can sometimes get in the way. The experiences of our life, what we walk through, where we are, our pride, our arrogance can get in the way of us fully listening and adhering to and understanding what has been said in the language in which it was written thousands of years ago, how it rightfully applies to us today. And if every one of us has in some measure, at some point, at some time been off in our understanding, in our teaching, in our applying, that means that we all need Jesus. We all need the aspect of the Holy Spirit's nature where Jesus says, when he comes and he has come, that he will bring to remembrance everything that I've said, Jesus speaking. And he says, and he will guide you into all the truth. Paul writes about the Holy Spirit in Corinthians that he searches the deep things of God the Father. That we need him to open our minds. We need him to open our hearts. We need him to open our ears that we might see and understand what he is saying. And even in that, there will be mysteries that by faith we will have to believe. And when we stand before the master, he'll unfold it all before us. We will still be learning, but we will be learning from the greatest teacher who has ever lived, the one who knows all things. So all of our differences, all of our arguments, Jesus will sort them out when we stand before him. But it is our responsibility to lean into the spirit of God the best way we can, to listen to the greatest degree that we can, to remain in the posture of humility, 
with a heart that is pliable and teachable so that if religion has gripped us and we have created dogma and created monuments around something we believe to be true, that the Holy Spirit can come and show us that which we have not seen before. Amen. Father, we love you and we thank you this Saturday afternoon. I ask you as your son and your servant that you would come, that you would establish your kingdom, that you, Jesus, would be exalted by the Holy Spirit. You would open your word and peel back the layers that we see the way that you see and understand in the manner in which you understand. Give us ears to hear because we know that which we hear cannot be taken from us, but it will be added to. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today, we still have not made it back over to Psalm 15 just yet. And we'll see when the Lord allows us to go and finish that passage and get back. But today I want to dive into Matthew 13. And the reason I want to dive into Matthew 13, there are two parables here. I want to do them not in the order in which they were written, meaning starting at verse 1 necessarily and going down. But I want to start with this parable concerning the wheat and the tares. And then we will go back, Lord willing, because I believe the first part is important for the second part. But I want us to see the second part. I believe the Lord wants us to see the second part in the hour in which we are living and how we are able to walk in our full purpose and destiny and walk and, and occupy, as we are told, until the Lord comes, driving back what the enemy is attempting to do to see that, but also how the first is important. Uh, this passage, starting in verse 1 of Matthew 13, it is the parable of the sower. It is extremely important, so important that in Mark's writing of the parable of the sower, Jesus asks his disciples this. He says to them after tell it, speaking the parable in the multitudes, here is the beauty of being a believer who walks with Holy Spirit, walks with Jesus. Jesus will say one thing. He says one thing to the multitudes. But his disciples were able to privately come to receive the interpretation. And Jesus says, to you it has been given to know. 
He, he says it here. He says it in Matthew, but here in Mark 4. He says, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parable. That seeing they will not see, that hearing they will not have heard. Those who do not, who have not given their life to Christ, do not see and do not know. The Bible writes and says that it, it is foolishness. Scripture is foolishness to those who have not come through the door, which is Christ. But for you and I, if you are listening and you are a believer, you have made Jesus the Lord of your life. If you are walking in this posture of being a disciple to him, for him, through him, and by him, walking with him. The word disciple is the Greek word mathetes. It comes from the root word math, where we get our word for mathematics. Disciple means learner. However, when you add take into context the root word of math the word disciple is a learner who has every intent of putting into practice that which they've learned in other words a disciple is not simply a learner a a procurer of information one who takes in information for many of us, because we have been given just one part of the definition from the Greek word methetis, we say, oh, I'm a learner. I Google all the time. I'm a learner. I'm in service and I'm listening to what my pastor is saying. I, I'm a learner, so that makes me a disciple. I'm listening to teachings always. But when you put in that word, that root word, math, that changes things. It is not about just taking in information because Paul warned Timothy about the last days where he says that in that day, men will be ever learning. But unable to come into the knowledge of the truth. Truth is a person and his name is Jesus. But in order for me to come into the knowledge of it, I must live what I learn. A disciple is one who lives what they learn. Jesus taught his disciples and then he sent them out that they might learn and put into practice that which, what, that which he was teaching them. A disciple is a learner who lives what they learn. Not just I've learned information and now I'm able to argue with people who want to see proof of a lifestyle locked into Christ, who want to see proof of a lifestyle given over to the full reality of his existence. Not a people who want to argue points and that they saw their pastor give or some minister give, but they want to see someone whose lifestyle indicates that they have been with Jesus, 
and live daily walking with his Holy Spirit. He tells his disciples, because you have come and given your life to me, to you it has been given to know the mysteries. That's important because it's been given to us. We have this secret life that we ought to be living from. Oh, it is what we call prayer. We call it prayer. It's fellowship. It is an intimate encounter between you, the Father, between you, Jesus, between you and the Holy Spirit that you ought to have secrets and mysteries unfolded to you and understanding about the world's problems and the things that they face. Why? So that you can lord it over them? God forbid. Jesus dealt with that. He says, he tells his disciples, if you desire, in Matthew 20, he says, if you desire to be first, you must first become a slave. If you desire to become great, you must first become a servant. No, it is being given the mysteries of the kingdom that you might bring a world to longing for what you know. That a world around you will jealously yearn for the answers we possess because it is their freedom. That there is power, there is understanding. Uh, is nothing greater than one when the Lord speaks to you mysteries and secrets about the life of someone who is having difficulties finding breakthrough and stepping into freedom. And he speaks to you and gives you a word of knowledge and then the word of wisdom that brings breakthrough and unlocks destiny and unlocks the places of freedom, not only for them, but for their children and their family, etc. And he says, it's been given to us. It is in the secret place. It's in the silent places with him. But he says to them about this parable of the sower. He says, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? This parable of the sower is of utmost importance. Utmost. It is important for us to understand that we might walk with him, live with him, that we might have great success. And success is not defined by money in the bank. It is not defined by the number of locations. It is not defined by all of these measures that the world has established. Success in the kingdom is determined by my obedience to his word and fulfillment of it. Prosperity, prospering in it is not necessarily determined by the number of zeros at the end of a number attached to my bank account or whatever. It is my ability to fulfill the destiny and the calling that has been assigned to my life. It is fulfilling all that he has set forth. 
Isaiah 58. The Bible says that the word of the Lord that goes forth out of his mouth, it does not return unto him void, but it prospers, it says, in the thing whereunto he sent it. It is the word of the Lord having reaching its full potential in your life, his calling upon you, his anointing upon you, reaching the fullness of its potential. Instead of meditating upon the word, he tells Joshua, you'll make your way successful. You'll have full obedience. You'll fulfill what I say. And your way will be prosperous. Will you lack anything? No, you won't. You'll make your way prosperous. Having enough and more than enough to fulfill the assignment upon your life. He tells his disciples, if this one you don't understand, how will you understand all of them? This, this, this parable is of utmost importance. And he speaks it in parables that those who are on the outside, those who refuse to surrender their life to him, won't understand. See, there is a requirement. There is a value attached to the kingdom. Jesus knows his worth. The father knows his worth and his value. And he will not lessen it and lower it for anyone. For anyone. Man is attempting to acquire revelation, understanding, knowledge by all types of means. And the Lord says, if you want to know what I know, if you want to have the power that I have, there is only one way you get it. It is by Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way. And it is not just naming him, but it's surrendering your life completely to him. You can come and pray a prayer, but that does not mean the mysteries will be unlocked to you if you will not lay your life down and live for him. That he becomes the source of your life. Matthew 13. He says this. Uh, I want to jump down. Uh, da -da 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 -da. starting in verse 24. And then we will, if the Holy Spirit allows, not today, but maybe next week, go back to verse 1 if we get all the way through this. This is important for us to understand. As I've already mentioned, Jesus says, if you don't understand this parable of the sower, how can you understand all? This second parable in this chapter that he puts forth about the wheat and the tares is vitally important for the church because while we argue over certain things, the enemy is growing, the enemy is maturing, and the enemy is about his business of developing an army 
that he desires to snuff out and destroy the kingdom of God. And the church, the church world, we have become distracted with much. Distracted with so many things that we have failed to realize that the Lord is building an army as well. That the Lord desires for us to mature because there is a battle that is looming. And if we don't begin to be focused, yielded and surrendered again, there is a fresh surrender that every one of us will have to offer up unto the Lord. A fresh yieldedness of our eyes, of our heart, of our mouth, of our hands, of our life, that we might be ready for his returning and for the battle that looms. Verse 24. Excuse me. Just take a sip of coffee there. Verse 24, he says in Matthew 13. Another parable he put forth to them saying. The kingdom of heaven. Is like. We must take particular, we must pay particular attention. When we read Jesus say, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like. He is giving us understanding and he's given us a picture and clues into what we should be living in and walking in and what kingdom life is about the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sold he continues talking about sowing that's why the parable of the sower is so important with this one and I pray that we are able to go back Behold, he says in verse 3, a sower went out to sow. He says here, the kingdom of heaven is like a man. Listen to what he says. Who sowed good seed in his field. The seed was good. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But while men slept. Sleeping. Is something we all do. We, we sleep every night. But there is also. A sleeping. Where we are spiritually dull. To what is happening all around us. Uh, G Jesus made mention of this when he spoke to the Pharisees and Pharisee, Pharisees and Sadducees in the Gospel of John. He says to them, "You can discern the weather 
you will look at the sky and you can tell that is sunny today. It is a good day. You can tell that it is rain coming and it's threatening. You can tell the season by looking at the sky. He says, but can you not discern the times that we're in? Speaking spiritually. While men slept. While men were distracted with other things. While men had their attention drawn away while men had their hearts gripped by the lust of other things you know when Jesus was in the wilderness after he was baptized the Holy Spirit led him in the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil he was tested by the Lord tempted by the devil. The Bible says that he was tempted with the lust of the flesh in the in the epistle of John. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And he overcame them all. Which means that you and I by his grace, enabling ability, can overcome the lust of our flesh, our desires in our flesh that rage, our longings where we feel as though we can't check ourselves in many areas. Will you name one? The lust of the eyes, we see something and we have to have it. We've got to watch it. We've got to be entertained by it. And the pride of life. We can overcome them all. And not be pulled away and lulled into spiritual apathy by them. But while men slept, verse 25 of Matthew 13. His enemy came. The man's enemy came. That man is the son of man, Jesus. That enemy is the devil. The church, for years now, has been asleep. In 2020, began the exposing of our slumber. There's another passage. In Matthew, uh, I can't think of the exact chapter right now, and I don't want to go there. We'll be stuck. We call it the passage on the five wise and the five foolish virgins. That they were awaiting the bridegroom. See, in the culture of Israel of that day, they would have fully understood this when there was a bridal party and there was a wedding this would be this could take weeks or over a week as the groom would make his way to where the bride was and there would be parties along the way and celebrations and he may come down a river and people would await his coming and he uses this picture that they would completely understand but in our western culture today we don't necessarily 
understand it in that same way. That they were awaiting the bridegroom and he took a little longer than they thought. The church has been awaiting for 2,000 years. But we must realize that in the third heaven, where the Father is, where the Son is, there is no time because He is the container of time. He created time for our realm, our domain, and time is contained in Him. It is why the scripture says that one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day doesn't mean that you can equate it exactly in that numbers that you can just say one day is a thousand years. It's like that, meaning there is no time frame. So for us, 17 years, 20 years could be like 30 minutes in heaven, 10 minutes. It says, while they slept and slumbered, he took a little longer. Jesus has taken longer than our aptitude to wait is. Not longer than he said. We simply do not have an aptitude at waiting and hoping and expecting without losing focus, without giving up hope and throwing off restraint. We will get distracted and consumed by the things in the world around us. Why? He's taking too long to do this thing in my life. But the Bible says in Peter that he desires that no man would perish. So he is long-suffering, not willing that any man should perish. It's not just about you. But it is about the whole of all of us who want him, who desire him, who long for him. And he says, while they slept, the sound went forth that the bridegroom made, made his approach into that village. And the five wise virgins trimmed their lamps. They turned them on. They had oil. The picture of remaining in the Holy Spirit, remaining connected to him daily. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you talked to the Holy Spirit? You, you. When was the last time you mentioned his name? When was the last time you asked for him? When was the last time you prayed in tongues, in the spirit, just you? walking around your house. When was the last time you leaned upon him and rested and said, come, teach me your ways? When was the last time you acknowledged him? When was the last time you thought about him? The wise, the five wise virgins, they had oil for their lamps. But the five foolish, he took too long. The five foolish, they slumbered. They were distracted. They slept. They thought they had more than enough time. How many right now 
listening to my voice or thinking or have thought, I have time. I have time. I have time to get my life fully in order. I have time to get fully committed. I have time to give my life. I have time. And then the bridegroom came. And the five foolish asked the five wise, give us some oil for our lamp. And the five wise with the wisdom said, we cannot at least, at least there not be enough oil for us. Go to those who sell. It's the picture of us going to the Holy Spirit himself. Jesus talks about this through scripture. He says it in the book of Revelation, buy gold from me. Buy these things from me. Purchase them from me. They are pure. Come to me. Buy, go to those who sell the oil. But the bridegroom came, the Bible says, and the door was shut, and the five foolish who were not ready were left out. And this passage tells us to make ourselves ready. Back to Matthew 13, 25. I pray you're, you're getting something out of this. Just a few more minutes. Obviously, we won't finish this passage, but few more minutes it's important his enemies came and sold tares among the wheat and he went his way so you have the good you have a man who sowed good seed it's the picture of Jesus and he sold sons of the kingdom lovers of him lovers of the kingdom lovers of the gospel lovers of Holy Spirit lovers of the father he sold them in the earth and the enemy who mimics everything the Lord does in like manner. He came and sowed tares. Verse 26, but when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, listen to this. When they begin to mature, when the crop began to grow up and mature, the tares also appear. They began to mature and pop up as well. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? Paul in Romans chapter 7, I love it. He says, the thing that I long to do, I do not do. And the thing that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And he says, I find that there is this other law that it is not me who sins, but I find that sin is present with me wherever I go. Did you not sow good seed? How then does it have tares? For the enemy has sown his demons. He has sown his sons, those who are faithful sons and daughters who will be faithful to the dark side, to doing his bidding. He said to them, this is what the man said, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? 
But he said, no. Least while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Here's the thing that I have found out because I wondered why not just gather the tares amongst the wheat when they're not at their full maturity. And this is going to help someone. I have found out that wheat and tares look similar until they reach full maturity. So it would be difficult to tell them apart. Why is that important? It's important because around us, as we're maturing, let me say it this way first. The devil loves church. He loves to come to church, especially a church in churches who have asked the Holy Spirit not to display himself, who have not yielded to the Holy Spirit where he is free to control the service. There are people, and there can be people, and I pray that you and I are not one of them, that we are growing side by side right now in this hour. And some people you cannot tell that they still have an allegiance to the dark side. They say the right thing. They seem to do the right thing. But there will be a day where you can clearly see the difference. He says, let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Verse 36. We jump down a little. Then Jesus sent the multitudes away and went into the house. His disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares in the field. He answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. Hear it again. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. He who sows the good seed is Jesus. If I yield my life in every facet, in every area, I become a good seed. And as I mature, that good seed will begin to blossom. And it will become wheat, that which feeds others tares rob they rob from the wheat they take away they extract from the wheat produces for others and releases seed it is important that for you and I as we are maturing that every month every six months every year Paul said this in Corinthians he said examine yourself 
to see if you be in the faith. There ought to be evidence of my life that I am the good seed of the kingdom, that I am part of the good seed, that I am turning my life over to him, that I am walking away further and further from the ways and how the world does things, that there is a line of delineation between me and the world, that I look different every year that goes by. There's a separation that I don't do what I once did. That I don't say the things that I once said. There should be. If you gave your life to Christ. While drinking alcohol. There should be days that go by. That as you mature in him and become more good seed. That that leaves your life. And I know people will argue you me about that, and that's fine. But I should be less like I was in the world and more like him in the kingdom. I could keep going on and on, but I won't. He says in verse 39, the enemy who sold them is the devil. If I was, I'll use myself as an example. I had a foul mouth before I came to Christ. Swearing and cursing and all the time. And a foul mouth. Enjoyed disgusting jokes. Listened to them. Laughed at them. And I gave my life to Christ and my mouth changed. I no longer talk that way, nor do I like filthy and disgusting jokes. Paul writes, I believe it's in Philippians, there should be no coarse jesting amongst us. Filthy language, jokes, laughing at those things, coarse jesting. The more we walk with him and grow, there ought to be a difference. Yes, there will be a time in our walk with him that you still cannot tell the difference between us and the enemy's kids. Let them grow together. Least you mistakenly pull those who are after my heart, who are after me, and they just need to be cleaned up. They've given their life to me but this is the only life that they have ever known, living this way. But leave them. Let them walk with me. Let them continue to walk with me, and you will see the full maturing. Verse 39. And, and I, I pray that you get the point I'm making by just using those two examples. And, and, and I know we can argue those back and forth. People can bring up Scripture, and then I can bring up other Scriptures and explain the one possibly that you gave, all, all those things we can go. That is not the point. The point is our life looking like Jesus. Not looking for excuses, looking for ways that I can hold on to this world that is perishing, this world that is passing away. 
but that I can bear the image of Christ. The enemy, verse 39, who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in fire, so it will be at the end of this age. We are fast approaching the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend. And though, listen to this, they will gather everything out of his kingdom, all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, that purposely reject the laws of God and the ways of God. They are open and purposeful about their rebellion and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. One of the things that I've heard about the difference at full maturity of the wheat and tares is that the wheat, when they reach full maturity, they will wind up bowing over the top and almost bending in a, in a bowing type fashion of worship and longing and you will see that will be the difference between the wheat and the tares and the tares will continually be standing upright where the wheats will get a bulb on the end and bow over almost in reverence and the reason for that passage I want to read this is I wanted to ask you a question how are you maturing today How is your life growing in the things of God, in the ways of his kingdom? Only you can answer that. Being honest with yourself, where are you? Because the enemy's kids are maturing. They're growing because they want to destroy. Jesus said they come to kill, steal, and destroy. He says, but I have come. To give life. How are you maturing and growing in this aspect to impart life into a world where the enemy is exacting death and taking a toll? If you are not growing and maturing right now, you won't be ready when the battle comes. When there is full maturity, you may not be ready. And my fear is this today, that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not ready to face off with an enemy being more exposed around them every single day. An enemy who wants to destroy, who wants to consume, who wants to stop you from worshiping and living for the king. We're not ready to do battle for the glory of the Lord our God. We're growing at the same place at the same time. Are you giving all to your maturity in Christ? Are you giving all to your life with him, to walking with him? Or are you leaving your growth and your maturity in the hands of another? Willing 
to lose all, forsake all that the Lord has invested in you. His death, his blood was costly. We may have freely received it, but it was costly. And we must recognize the value in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. For a high price was paid for you and I to live for him. The time is now, church. The time is now, sons and daughters of the living God, to wake up, to stop playing church, to stop playing Christianity. It is not a club, but to take up. Paul tells Timothy that a good soldier of which we are to be does not entangle himself in the affairs of this life. It is time for us to recognize that we are in this world, but not of it. We were left strategically that we might make an impact for the glory of God, that we might build and establish his house, his city, his ways, that we would occupy and drive back the works of the enemy to tear down demonic strongholds and build monuments of truth for the glory of the kingdom, the glory of Christ, the glory of the Father. And to ensure that we were able to live it, he sent his Holy Spirit to be in us, to be upon us, for us to walk with him. And he would guide us into every place that we go. So I ask again, when was the last time you acknowledged the one Jesus sent for your life? May we grow up, may we mature in this day and this hour. There is no time to waste. There is no putting off to, to until tomorrow. What not only could be, but what must be done today. I pray you receive something out of that. And Lord willing, we will jump into verse 1 of Matthew 13. And see what else he says in this parable of the sower. Amen. Father, we love you. And we just thank you today. We honor you for this time together on a Saturday afternoon. And we thank you for the privilege that you've given us to just listen to you, to receive from you. And I pray, Lord, that we are transformed in an area of our thinking, in our heart, in our life before you. Father, allow this to go far and wide. That it's heard, that your voice is heard and hearts are transformed and made new. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, I pray you have a blessed rest of your Saturday. If you could do me a favor, share this if you're watching on social media and, and watching it live. Share this if you're watching, listening on podcasts. Share it, share it with a friend. It helps us. Just declare the gospel of the kingdom of our Lord. In this day and this hour, as we are closing out this age, 
and stepping into a new one. Well, I pray that not only do you have a blessed rest of your Saturday, but I pray that you will be in the house of the Lord tomorrow, wherever you are, worshiping him, adoring him, ministering to his heart, and that he will be magnified by it. And I pray that wherever you are, the Lord will break in. He will break in and he will transform you, deliver you and bring breakthrough into your life. You have been listening to the Father's Table podcast on a Saturday afternoon, midday meditation. I've been your host, Ron L. Tate, and I'm the lead pastor of the Father's House located in Frisco, Texas. Until next week, I bless you, and I pray God's richest blessing upon you and your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you, and we will see you soon. Bye-bye.